0: Welcome. Uh, so last week, for those of you who weren't here, Albert reminded us that Jesus uh, subjected himself uh, to being human. And he began to ask questions about what it means for us as a church, uh, not just here at Trinity, but a church worldwide to focus on the, on the incarnation. It reminded us that this is a, a season to refocus our lives on the coming of Jesus, to share in that ancient longing. Um, to wait for a savior, to hope for a savior. This is a reminder, right? Uh, again, like he said, this is not just a season about consumerism. this is a season to wait on the Lord. And his encouragement to us during this advent season is to ask ourselves two questions I don't know if you guys remember this. He said, uh, "What does the Incarnation tell us about the character of God, about who God is? Why does it matter? And the second question he he wanted us to be reflecting on is, what does the incarnation ultimately tell us about ourselves? And this morning, I want to address the ways that the incarnation speaks into our experience with our family and with our prayer life. How does the incarnation, this huge uh, theological reality, become tangible and practical in our lives, uh, in the midst of our family? So, I don't know about you guys. uh, I think holidays have been uh, hard for me. Uh, Thanksgiving and, and Christmas, they're a great time to be with family, but I think that in my mind, I have expectations of what, you know, a holidays like uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas are supposed to be that don't always match up with my reality, right? I think like in my mind, I, I picture this. You know what I mean? Like, like people hanging out around the table, having a good time. I think like Christmas trees, like I think food. I think family. I have, again, uh, like I said, a picture in my mind of what Christmas and Thanksgiving are supposed to be. Who I want uh, around the table with the types of conversations that we need to have. But I think that in my adult life, if I'm really honest, it doesn't always go down like that. You guys know what I'm talking about? It doesn't always go, go down like, like, like that picture to me. I'm like, man, that's awesome. You know? Uh, But it never goes down like that. There's always drama happening in my life. There's always somebody who disrespected somebody else uh, sometime during the year, and now that that person uh, is not invited to hang out with us at Thanksgiving or Christmas anymore. You guys have this experience? Not invited. And even when everybody shows up, I'm always like on edge, right? Because I'm waiting for somebody to say something inappropriate about somebody else (laughs) at the table. Uh, because we all know, right? Like, like what's been happening in family life. So like who's going to ask her about that? Or who's going to ask him about that? And I'm like hoping, Lord, not here, not at the table. I only see these people once or twice a year, some of them. So not here. There's always family drama happening. That's just my family. I don't know about yours. But I think that in my experience, even people who have grown up in the church, even families here at Trinity, we're not perfect. Yes? Not perfect. So the question that I ask is, what hope does the Incarnation have or tell us about our family dynamics? There's so much, uh, I think, uh, things that we want to see, but, but, but that's not always reality. So what hope does the Incarnation bring into our lives? And this morning, we're going to be looking at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. We're going to focus on the angel's interaction with Joseph and his dream. But before we go there, I wanted to give you a little bit of background, Matthew opens a story about Jesus by telling us about uh, Joseph's family lineage. And what he's doing is he's bridging the gap between what God has done in the Old Testament and what's happening now in the New Testament in the life of Israel when Matthew is writing this uh, to to Jews in the first century. Now, most of us, I think we skim through through these genealogy lists. How many of you guys get excited about genealogy lists? Uh, no not to me oh <laughs> Aaron of course um most of us I would argue we skim through this stuff right because all these names they don't mean anything to us but to Matthew's reader readers right he's he's uh, writing to a Christian uh, Jewish audience it was the story of their family right it was the story of Israel what Matthew is telling them is look The story of God is continuing into this this current situation. The same God that was alive in the life of our ancestors is alive today. And Matthew does this. He bridges the gap between what God did then and what God is doing now by talking about Jesus' family line. And if we begin to pay attention to what's happening in that family line, we begin to notice that there are some people in Jesus' family line that aren't necessarily people that you and I would want uh, to talk about. You know what I mean? So we have Tamar, who is a Canaanite, and the wife of Judah's oldest son. The oldest son dies. She marries uh, uh, the middle son. And eventually, she kind of deceives Judah, her father-in-law, to sleep with her. That's one of the people in Jesus' family line.
1: Then we have Rahab,
0: right? Rahab, who was a prostitute who helped the spies enter Jericho uh, and basically take over the promised land. And we have Ruth, who was a Moabite, who left her land to accompany her mother-in-law. Then we have Bathsheba, who is married uh, to the Gentile guy, uh, Uriah, who is a Hittite. And King David, right, saw her bathing on the roof one day. And he basically has one of of his servants summon her. He has sex with her. She concedes. He tries to cover it up. And David pretty much uses his power, his authority, uh, to force her to cheat on her husband. And he uses his power to have sex with her. so, So before Jesus is even born. Before Jesus is even born, God chooses a family with a history of men marrying marrying women from the wrong tribes uh, who are worshiping the wrong gods, who who, uh, some of them are prostitutes. Some of them have been sexually uh, uh, assaulted. Some of them are deceiving their father-in-laws. And God could have chosen a perfect family, a family line without blemish, a family line that Matthew's readers could be proud of. You guys know what I'm talking about? And and I have to wonder, right, like, are Matthew's readers confused? Like, yo, man, like, you could've could've chosen a lot of people to talk about. To talk about, like, where we've been, like, why you gotta bring up old stuff, you know what I mean? Why you gotta bring up old stuff, Matthew? Why would you pick these people? Now, I don't know about you, but, uh, I can't relate to all of that, but I I could relate to some of it, because there are some people uh, in my family that have embarrassed themselves and embarrassed the rest of us. You know, there are some people in my family that I don't want to hang out during Thanksgiving, but I don't have any choice because Thanksgiving is not at my house. It's at my mom's house. My mom invites them, right? (laughs) There are some people uh, that are not going to get anything from me on Christmas morning. (laughs) It's like straight up. You know, there are some people in my family that are, I'm just not going to call it midnight on New Year's. You know, or on Midnight Ever, probably. (laughs) (laughs) So before Jesus is even born, right, like the truth of the incarnation is that God comes via a family of shady characters. Like when the the word was made flesh to dwell among us, he chooses a family line that is full of people that we would not expect. Before Jesus is born, the truth of the incarnation is that God is not afraid to enter into the messiness of family drama. And this, I believe, is good news for us. Can you say good news? good news? This is good news. Because if God can use Joseph's broken family to bring the Savior of the world, then maybe he could use my family also and your family. Last week, Albert reminded us right, that Jesus subjected himself to being in, in a human body and then going to the cross. And he asked, for What? Like, why why would God do this? You guys remember that? Why would God do this? And his answer was for us, for love, right, for broken people, for selfish people, for sinful people. This is the God who has been revealed to us. God did this because he loved us. And and one of the early church fathers, one of my favorites, Athanasius says, this is why Jesus came. He has been manifested in a human body for this reason only, out of the love and goodness of his Father for the salvation of us men. It is we who are the cause of his taking human form, and for our salvation that in his great love, he is is both born and manifested in human body. And the grand narrative of Scripture at the beginning is, is that God loved humanity. God made humanity in his image. We were supposed to be his representatives across the face of the planet. We were supposed to multiply. We, would have, uh, uh, we were supposed to have dominion over all of it. When God made creation, he said that it was good. And when he made humanity, he said that it is really good. We were made in his image. We were created to reflect the glory of God to all the cosmos. But that story comes crashing down, crashing down, When Adam and Eve ate from the fruit in the book of Genesis, when they believed the serpent and ate the fruit, they gave up on God's plan for humanity. Death and sin entered our lives. The image of God in us became corrupted, and instead of being the reflection of the image of God to all of creation, we became a reminder of humanity's disobedience and subjected ourselves and all of creation to the power of death and sin. And the incarnation turns all of that on its head. The incarnation redeems Adam and Eve's decision. The incarnation is God's way of saying, "You gave up on being made in my image. You became slaves to sin and death. And the only way to restore that image, uh, to restore creation back to what it was, is put, is to put death to death. And the only way that that happens is when God himself comes in the flesh, he comes into creation, subjects himself to the power of sin and, then, uh, and uh, to the power of death, and then conquers, conquers it on the cross through the resurrection. And I love, I say that all, right? To remind us that God chooses to do this not through some perfect family, but through a family line that makes everyone who is looking at this genealogy list pray. Redemption comes to humanity and to creation through a messed up family line. And like I said, I don't know about you guys, this gives me hope. Because if God can choose to become incarnate in Jesus' broken, uh, uh, yeah, Jesus broken family line, then maybe he can become incarnate in my family and begin to destroy the power of sin and death in the Ramos family line and restore us back into his image. And that gives me hope. This is good news, especially this time of year. Right, Because like I said, this is time to be family. And if your family is a little dysfunctional, Jesus can relate. That is good news. The incarnation gives me hope. Because I want God to redeem my family. I want to be different. I want my children to be different. Jesus coming into our families gives me hope. I want to be different. And this time of year is an opportunity for us to bring light into broken family dynamics. We can invite Jesus to our dinner tables this Christmas because he relates to that. Jesus isn't afraid of what's going to be said. You know what I mean? Jesus is not afraid because he's experienced it. So that's just a background to what we're really going to be talking about this morning. Um, The text that I have for us is, is, how does this play out in Joseph's life? I wanted to read to you guys from the book of Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph before they lived together, she was found to be child with the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. So Matthew tells us that Mary uh, was engaged to Joseph. This is a good thing, right? Like the engagement process in Jewish society was more significant than what most of us experience here in the West. Uh, It lasted about a year, and it was a legally binding contract, right? A legally binding contract that that, meant that these two families uh, were promised to each other. Uh, uh, so, so, so they were like, like married, but not married. It, it was is it just different than what we have today. Okay, um, and and again, it was a year long, and at the end of that year, they would come together and live together and consummate the marriage. And Matthew tells us that they are engaged. Mary and Joseph, again, are legally bound to each other, but they don't live together. So we find ourselves in that middle period, right? Like sometime in that year in between uh, when they made the agreement uh, to get married and and that day when they're going to actually finally live together. And this is a good time, right? This is a time to celebrate, man. Like these two people are coming together. This is a hopeful time. This is a time that we look forward to. So I remember uh, when I proposed to Molly, and I proposed to her at Huntington Beach, right? So, so Molly, uh, Molly loves the beach, Molly's from Seattle. Uh, Molly loves hot chocolate and s'mores, uh, reminds her of the Pacific Northwest. So I recruited my, one of my, my best friends, Eddie, um, to throw up one of these easy up, you know, canopy things next to a fire pit. And he put a, a white sheet underneath it with a bunch of rose petals. And next to the fire, he had like some hot chocolate and everything that we needed for s'mores. So I took Molly uh, to Huntington, to the Huntington Pier, had dinner in that area. And I would say, hey, like, You want to go on a a walk on the sand with me? And she's like, yeah, awesome. And then we start walking, you know. And I don't even remember what she said because my heart was like (laughs) thumping so loud. I was like, Lord, uh, I'm going to ask this woman to spend the rest of my life with me, you know. And uh, eventually we got to the canopy, and as soon as she saw it, she knew what was going on. and started crying, right? And we began dreaming about what our lives together were going to be. Now, that's a little different, uh, you know, how it went for Joseph and Mary. Their parents probably arranged their marriage, right, with their consent. But I think that sense of anticipation is the same as it was for Molly and I. And, and any in the room, anybody in the room who's like currently engaged or anybody in the room who's been married, the dreams that you have, right, about spending the rest of your life together, the feeling that you get in your stomach when you think about your future together, you think about uh, having kids, and there's a bunch of hope, you know what I mean? Like, uh, everything's a dream, you know? Oh, everything's gonna be awesome. Um, your entire future is ahead of you. And that's a good thing. You know, that's a wonderful time. But then, right, that's why I love, I love Scripture. Then Matthew throws a wrench into all of that. But before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> what? She's already pregnant. You know, here we have the situation, it's supposed to be hopeful. And it's like, oh, snap, she's already already pregnant. And we know it's not from Joseph because his plan is to divorce her quietly. Man, Luke's gospel tells us, right, that the angel Gabriel came to Mary and he said, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. Mary knew that she was going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary, Luke tells us, was highly favored by the Lord. And when the angel tells her that she's going to bear a son, she's going to be like, what? Like, like, how is that going to happen? Right? Because they're in this in-between stage. They haven't come together and to consummate the marriage yet. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. So Mary knows what's going to happen. But poor Joseph has been in the dark about all of this. Right? And part of me wonders, Lord, why didn't you come to Joseph first? Right? Save this brother some emotional pain. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you guys imagine how that conversation went down? Right, Like they're committed to each other now. They're excited about the future. Their families have been talking about this wedding. Uh, This is a a time to plan it out, right? Because it's going to be a feast. And we have an example of this in the book of John. They used to party for days. You know, this was going to be awesome. (laughs) But she's already pregnant. She's already pregnant and it isn't his. Right? So can you imagine how this conversation went down? I, I, I like putting myself in the text sometimes, so I imagine it. Mary, how, how are you doing today? Uh, you know, I've been throwing up every morning for the last few weeks. Oh, girl, sorry. You know, are, are you? You must be nervous with all the plans. Or you, know, you must be looking forward to hanging out with me. Uh, no, not exactly, Joseph. I'm pregnant. But you're what? Yeah, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, the Holy Spirit did it. <laughs> ah, right. This is this is horrible. You know, Albert commented on Philippians two seven uh, last week. He said the incarnational that the incarnation reveals the God who loves us to the point of death. And he's like, that's scandalous. You know, they're, they're, that's scandalous. That's not right. It seems like sacrilege, but you know what makes the incarnation even more scandalous, right? Is the fact that Mary is pregnant before she comes home to be with Joseph. The incarnation is scandalous because there's only two options, right? Either she slept with somebody else, wasn't him, or she's telling the truth. But let me ask the men in the room, right? Which one of you, if your fiance came? And told you that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Would you believe her? Joseph's not having any of it. Right? Not having any of it. The Old Testament punishment for adultery was death. <laughs> if there is a young woman, a virgin already engaged to be married. And a man meets her in town and lies with her. You shall bring both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death. The young woman because she did not cry for help in the town and the man because he violated his neighbor's wife so you shall purge the evil from your midst. But the text tells us that Joseph is a righteous man and that he is unwilling to expose her and her family to disgrace. Instead of putting her to death, he decides to divorce her in secret. Right? He could have called her out publicly. He could have had her tell the Holy Spirit story to the rest of the family. Right? He could have canceled the wedding. Imagine that. He could have put her to death, but, be, uh, but he chooses not to. And he chooses to do this before the angel even <coughs> appears to him. Joseph chooses to not retaliate. He could have done it. It was his right. He could have, he could have uh, uh, gone all the way, right? He could have had her stoned. And I think there's a lesson in, in here for uh, somewhere, for those of us who love to take revenge on people who do us wrong, you know? Especially people in the, in the family. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or maybe not. I'm not arguing, right, that we just accept... <laughs> the things that are done to us. But Joseph's reaction does make me wonder, how do we respond? Right? How do we respond in the middle of that family drama all year long uh, that, that, that has the potential to come up in conversation during Christmas? Right? Are we going to take the opportunity uh, to shame and take things into our own hands? Or maybe do we learn something? Because Joseph doesn't go there. And here's what I want us to take from this pregnancy drama. Like, on the one hand, it's a good thing. Right? It's a miracle. Amen? Amen. Like I said, this is good news because Jesus is the Savior of the world and and when we look at Jesus' genealogy we see that that God comes in the flesh in the middle of messy families. That's a hopeful message. But the incarnation, this miracle that causes Mary to become pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit it's also disruptive. Right? God's presence in our life creates chaos. (laughs) And the point that I want you to take away from the situation is that incarnation is disruptive. Right? God's presence in our life creates chaos. Look at your neighbor and say chaos. (laughs) And what I mean by that is is that being open to God means uh, being open to messiness. Because you and I don't control the Lord. And you don't know what he's going to call you to do. When we ask God to enter in our lives, we are inviting him ultimately to disrupt what is normal to us. He might call us to do something that makes no sense to us or to those around us. See, like when the angel comes, he tells Mary that she's going to conceive. Her response is, here I am. This is her response. The the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your will. And what's interesting to me is that this 14-year-old girl, she responds in prophetic fashion. Her words are almost word for word, exactly like Moses' words before the burning bush. Here I am, Lord. It is the same exact words that Isaiah uses in the temple when he has that vision of the Lord seated on the throne. Here I am, Lord. But that that yes to God's chaos, uh, that yes to God's invitation brings chaos into her life. She invites God into her life and that is a good thing because she's going to bear the savior of the world but that decision also causes chaos in her relationship with Joseph. We're seeing it come alive right now in the text. And choosing to say yes to God, Mary risks being seen as an adulterous woman and being stoned to death. She says yes to God and risks shaming her entire family and Joseph's family, both of them who have been getting ready for this wedding for the year. What were the guests going to say if this thing goes wrong? So Mary invites God into her life and that's, that's an invitation into chaos that's the major disruption now Joseph's chaos is a little different that brother had no choice you know what I mean at least not, not at the beginning he got wrapped up in Mary's yes and that happens in family by the way sometimes one spouse or one member of the family says yes to God and then everybody gets wrapped up in that drama Or Lord I thought this was going to be a blessing and it is but it's like not the way that I thought it was going to be he doesn't, uh, he, didn't, he didn't say yes to this initially, right? It just, it just happened. And what I love about the passage, I've been talking to a few of you in the congregation this week, Matthew doesn't tell us when Mary conceives. We're like, where in, in that year-long uh, engagement does the conception happen? We don't know. We don't know if it happened at the beginning, or we don't know if it happens at the end, Which means that it is entirely possible, check this out, it is entirely possible for Mary to be showing her baby bump before her and Joseph finally move in together. It is totally possible for Mary to be showing before she goes home to be with Joseph. And if her baby bump is showing, people are going to assume one of two things. One, they're going to assume that Joseph and Mary consummated the marriage before they were supposed to, and I know this happens in a lot of families. Right, Like this happens in my family all the time. People consummate their marriages before they get married. Uh, and and that's, that's kind of normal now in our society. We, we, we accept it. And, and God could redeem all that. But this would have brought like a lot of shame, man, like for, for Mary and Joseph, like I've been saying. So the first thing they might assume is that, that they consummated the marriage before they were supposed to. And that's just a big no-no. Now the other option is that if, 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 if Mary's baby bump is showing uh, before they move together, people might assume that Mary cheated on Joseph, that Mary is having a baby, that Joseph is not the baby daddy, and that Joseph is a fool. Later on in the book of Matthew, Jesus comes to Naz- Nazareth and teaches in the synagogue. It's the book of Matthew. The people are astounded, and they say, is this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph? Simon and Judas, Jesus' mother and brothers are named by the people, but Joseph is not named in the book of Matthew. Do you guys know that? Is it possible that Jesus had to endure stories about the fact that his mom was pregnant before she went home to be with Joseph and that Joseph wasn't really his dad? Maybe. The incarnation is disruptive. And I think that we forget about that during Advent season, right? Because we sanitize the story, you know? We sanitize the story with with cute Christmas songs. You know what I mean? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. I'll give you Holy. But I don't know about silent or calm. I don't know about bright. I don't think so. Like, they're in a barn. You know what I mean? Like, silent, si, what? Mm. You know? Like, do you know what barns smell like? Y'all, y'all ever been to a barn? You know? He's in a dirty, filthy manger. The animals are probably like, what are you guys doing here? You know? But we sanitize the story. Yeah, now I'm trash talking about Christmas song, you know? Oh, Abner, I like the one about the little drummer boy, you know? He was a poor boy too, you know. Didn't have anything to offer Jesus. Pum uh, pum pum pum. Man, that's not even in Scripture, you know. That's not even in Scripture. So, so we sanitize these stories, and the implication of that is that we lose sight of the fact that Jesus entered into the brokenness of the world. Into into a brokenness that I think that some of us in the room are all too familiar with. Family drama, sexual assault, kids out of wedlock, adultery, gossip. He enters into that story and he redeems it. That's good news. See, that's good news to me. I don't want to hear anything about Little Drummer Boys. One of my favorite songs, by the way. Right? It's cool, but it's just not theologically accurate. It just, it, it dumbs down the incarnation. It dumbs down what's happening in the text. That makes sense? You see, Mary faces the possibility of her husband walking out on her, leaving her. She, she faces the possibility of death. Joseph faces shame and ridicule for the rest of his life because she comes to him with this fairy tale about the Holy Spirit. Right? That's what's going on in the text. The incarnation is disruptive. And my brothers and sisters, right? I, Advent is a time of anticipation, a time of waiting for the birth of Jesus. We look forward to coming, uh, uh, for God to come into our lives. But my question to you is this, are you open to the disruption that he will bring? When God comes and requires something of us, how are we going to respond? Are we open to the chaos that the Lord brings? Are we open to being challenged by God when we pray for the Lord to come? Are we expecting a scene out of Silent Night, right, when all is calm and all is bright? Or are we open to the thought that maybe God's coming will require a level of faith and commitment to Him that is uncomfortable for us, that maybe we're not ready for? Right, when we, when we say yes to God at Trinity in different ways, right? Whether, whether that's saying yes uh, to, to volunteering at Trinity in some way or another, being part of a community group, going on a, on a missions trip with John Fawn, right? Participating in Angel Tree, running a marathon, helping with Family Promise. Those yes to God are disruptive in our lives. Are they opportunities? Are they awesome? Absolutely. But are they disruptive? Yeah, man. But we say yes to them. And we say yes to them because we know how it ends. That is a good thing. And I don't know sometimes if I want to be disrupted or not. Or not. Right, I'm an Eagles fan. Awesome Eagles Eagles team this, uh, this week. For those of you uh, who don't watch the NFL, we're the best team in the country right now. And tonight, the Eagles play Molly's team, Seattle Seahawks. And the Eagles are going to stomp on the Seattle Seahawks, and I want to watch it live. But it's not going to happen because we got community groups as a couple, you know. That's disruption, you know, and that's a funny one, right? But what happens when you say yes to God and it costs you something and people begin to think that you're a fool, right? I was 23 years old when I got invited to come on staff with City Christian Fellowship at East Los Angeles College down the street. You know what I want to do more than anything else? Preach the word of God. To students, I wanted to, to, to preach the word of God uh, to students. I wanted to give them hope, and I was so excited about that. Twenty-three years old, I was graduating, so I told my mom, "Mom, I'm going to come on staff at the University of Christian Fellowship. I'm going to be a minister of the gospel." And you know what she told me? Abner, yeah, it's okay to go to church on Sunday morning, but you don't have to be fanatical. And my mom loves me. You know, my mom loves me, but I've disappointed her by choosing to spend my days sharing the gospel with college students. Now, since then, she's come to faith. See, but I I didn't know how how that was going to end. You know what I mean? I could have gone the rest of my life feeling my mom's disappointment for me because I decided to say yes. Our yes to God will make us look stupid sometimes. Our yes to God will require sacrifice. Are we willing to go there? The incarnation is disruptive, but will you say yes to Jesus coming into your life this added season? Brothers and sisters, say yes. Say yes, Trinity. Yes, Lord, we want more of you. Now, before I end this morning, I have to ask a question. Why did Joseph and Mary say yes to God bringing chaos into their lives? Why did they say yes? How was this decision made? Why did Joseph say yes to taking Mary home? And the only answer that I can see, at least in, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, comes in verse 20. Right, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will have save his people from their sins. <laughs> Joseph had decided that he was going to dismiss Mary. He was going to divorce her. He didn't believe the story about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was reserved almost exclusively for kings and prophets. And when Joseph looks at Mary, he doesn't see either. Right? There are working class people from a no-name neighborhood in Galilee. There is nothing special about Nazareth. Never in his life did he imagine that maybe, just maybe, she was telling the truth but god doesn't leave mary hanging. right he sends an angel to joseph. and the angel tells him don't be afraid to take her as your wife because she's conceived by the holy spirit. god sends an angel to confirm mary's story. In the old testament angels served as guardians and messengers for god. when adam and eve sinned they're banished from the garden and then cherubim uh, uh, stand in the way to guard, guard them away from the tree of life angels appear before Abraham in Genesis 18 they appear to Lot in, in the following chapter telling him uh, that Sodom would be destroyed the angel of the Lord prevents Abraham from sacrificing Isaac Jacob wrestles with an angel and his name is changed to Israel because he wrestled with God. An angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a burning bush. An angel of the Lord leads uh, the people through the wilderness. I can go through all of scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, and find references to angels. I won't like uh, put every single one of those references here, because I kid you not, it would take about ten slides. All the references to angels. And what I want to say is this. When Joseph sees an angel in the dream, he knows what it is, and he responds. Right, when the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her that she will conceive, she knows what an angel is and she responds. Right? And, what and what I want to say is that although the incarnation is disruptive, it also reveals the power of God. The incarnation reveals the power of God. Right? Joseph changes his mind because he has a power encounter with God. Mm. An angel shows up. That is the only reason this brother moves forward with, with, with the marriage. Scripture paints a reality of the world beyond the reality that you and I see. Right? Angels, miracles, signs, wonders, healings, Holy Spirit. I've referenced it several times this morning. She became pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's not ignore the obvious in the text. Let's not sanitize this part of the story. That's a straight up miracle. Yes? An angel appeared to both of them, yes? And the truth of the incarnation is that Jesus is fully human and fully God. Jesus enters into our broken humanity uh, fully as human and fully as God. God and man, fully both. This means that as soon as Jesus enters into our humanity, before he was born, the Holy Spirit is at work. And when he comes on the scene at the beginning of his ministry in the Gospels, he comes and and he tells the people to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And that ministry is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. He teaches with authority. He casts out demons. He heals people. He invites his followers to do the same. The incarnation reveals the power of God. Scripture is not afraid to go there. Right? And if Scripture goes there, <laughs> talking about the power of God now, Holy Spirit, we can't be afraid to go there either. Especially on Christmas. Some of us in the room get weirded out, right? When, when there's any references to the supernatural. Let's be honest. And I understand why, right? Because uh, some of us have seen ways in which Christians have, have misused issues of faith, especially around the Holy Spirit. And that has caused a lot of I think pain and confusion in congregations, people can get weirded out by the Holy Spirit really fast, you know? And I think part of the problem is we just don't control the Holy Spirit. We don't control God, right? Like I said, disruptive. But we hesitate to talk about God's power and the supernatural. And in the West, this is a consequence of the enlightenment, right? People began to believe that the only thing that really exists are things that you can prove and explain through science. And the church bought into it to the point where even Christians sometimes don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit anymore nowadays. And I would say that the problem with that is that there are things about God and faith that you're just never going to be able to understand. And when I say that, I know that there are some people uh, that might be thinking, you know, uh, Abner, are you telling me to like shut off my mind? And I'm like, no, not at all. Use your brain, please, think. But be humble because... The human mind can't comprehend everything and prove everything. There are things, even in science, that are mysteries to us. And I'll be really honest with you. Uh, I had two other outlines for sermons that I sent Albert, and and then the Lord gave me this one. I was like, Lord, I don't want to talk about this. Why? This is my confession to you guys. I confessed to the staff team on Monday because I want you to like me. You know, I don't want to be the weird guy getting up on the first Sunday of Advent talking about, like, miracles and angels and some of these other things. You know what I mean? I don't want want you to think that I'm weird and I had to repent. And I'm like, well, if the Lord... I guess so, Lord. So here I am talking about miracles and angels and supernatural. I'm sorry. It's in the text. But there are things that I've seen that I have no explanation for Right, Molly and I, a few years ago, got invited uh, to share before the board of InterVarsity. And these guys are all bigwigs, you know? Like, all of them are really important people. And as I'm passing by one of the board members, I show up an hour early. And I decide I'm just going to go and, like, pray and calm myself down, you know what I mean? I better not mess this up. This is, like, a, a huge honor, a huge privilege. Very few staff in InterVarsity uh, get to speak before the board to present what the Lord is doing in their ministries. So it's a great privilege. Um, and as I'm passing what, by one of the board members, brand new board member, her name's Brenda. Uh, Brenda, Brenda's the real deal, you know. What I mean, she used to be on staff with Intervarsity, uh, went off staff, started her own own organization. Uh, she consults with churches and how to help churches reconcile ethnically and racially and issues of justice. Uh, she's written books with Intervarsity. Uh, she teaches at a seminary in Seattle, right? And I'm just a lowly area director. Like, the last thing that I want to do is interact with any of the board members. You know what I mean? It's like, just go in, give my presentation, and then walk out. Maybe have somebody pat me in the back, but that's it. But really, I don't need disruption that morning. But as I'm walking by Brenda, uh, I feel like, I don't know how else to say it, it, except like, almost like a burst of electricity, like hit, boom, like physically, I feel it. And I never felt that before, you know? But, but, But I know enough about the Holy Spirit to know that maybe this is the Lord they like, oh, man, okay. And I sit down, and I feel, it's, go pray for her. I pray, right? I the Lord, go pray for her. I, I, I don't want to. All right, Brenda, okay, look, I was passing by you. Uh, you don't know me. I'm Abner, lowly area director I'm about to present. Um, I feel the Lord wants me to pray for you. And she's cool, she's down, you know what I mean? A little bit charismatic, she's into that. So she said, yeah, sure, Abner, pray for me. And I begin praying for her. And the passage that comes to me is the passage that I've shared about, Isaiah 6. And I begin praying Isaiah 6 over her. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, like I'm praying, but, but I don't know what I'm praying. I'm just gonna, like, getting caught up in the Holy Spirit. I'm like, Lord, uh, help her see the reality that no matter who's seated on the throne, ultimately, you're on the throne, God. And that, that we need to live holy lives for you to call us, but help us keep your perspective on you. And I'm just, boom, praying for about 10 minutes. And, and then I, and I end the prayer time and I ask her, what is the Lord doing for you? She's like, "After I'm actually preaching on that passage this upcoming Sunday. And everything that you just prayed over me are the things that I've been wanting, that I've been thinking about for this sermon. Your prayer is a confirmation. I can't explain it. Can I prove that to you? Yeah, sure, go call Brenda. You know? I didn't know her before that. Uh, a few years ago, the Lord wakes me up in the middle of the night and I get this feeling that he wants me to tell Molly's dad something. This was right before Christmas. So I asked, Lord, what do you want me to tell him? And the Lord says, I love you, Jimmy. And I'm like, man, come on, Lord. Like, like give me something else, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night and told me that, that he loves you. I mean, come on, you know what I mean? That, that just sounds like, like Christian could focus you know what I mean? Like, eh, like, anyway, so I, but, but I write it. I write it in the Christmas card, and I tell him the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. He's not a believer. Woke me up in the middle of the night, and, he, and I think this is a word for you. I love you, Jimmy. And the next day, Christmas morning, I pull him aside in the kitchen. So what do you think about my Christmas card? <laughs> and he just tears up. And he says, Abner, uh, the only people that ever called me Jimmy were. And Jim just begins to get teary. Because he begins to understand, at that point, he's like 65 years old, that the God of the universe is not too busy to love on him and call him by the name that his parents used to use for him. A few years later, Jim gave his life to the Lord. So I've gone around this week asking people in the congregation about encounters that they've had with the Holy Spirit. Right? Because I don't want to be the only weird one in the congregation, you know? So I begin, <laughs> begin asking everybody. Uh, I've heard stories about miraculous ways that the Lord has provided. Right? I've heard stories about how God continues to bring new people to Trinity. I've heard stories of physical healing. Right? So let me give, give you one. Aaron, Aaron, where's Aaron at? Is he, is he in here? Aaron, in the back. Aaron was having seizure after seizure two weeks ago <coughs> because of, of his epilepsy. Right, so I text him, dude, like, how are you doing? had another seizure last night. Uh, I'm going to the doctors right now. Pray for me. Next day, hey, how are you doing? Had another seizure. Got another appointment at the hospital. Just like in and out of the hospital. Seizure after seizure after seizure. So Molly uh, goes over and prays for them two weeks ago. And they just begin praying. And since that prayer time, Aaron has not had a seizure. On Friday, Sandra Wong hurt her foot training for a marathon. Messed stood up really bad. I think stepped on a rock, twisted her ankle. I saw her at noon limping. She told me that by the end of the day, she couldn't walk anymore. And what's funny is Sandra knew what I was going to be preaching about because I told her, I, I don't want to preach about this. I don't want to preach about the Holy Spirit on Sunday morning. And she's like, you, you got to do whatever the Lord's calling you to do. And then she begins praying all week long. Lord, give us miracles. Give us healings. Lord, let us see your glory. Manifest yourself. Bam, rolls her ankle. The Lord heals her miraculously. Sorry, I yesterday, you're walking around like nothing happened. Like, what happened to your, to your ankle? Huh? The Lord healed me. Miracle. I've heard uh, several stories of people being delivered from demons. Several stories. Now, I'm not going to give the devil airtime on Sunday morning, especially not the first Sunday of Advent. But let me tell you a lot of stories here. You know, last night as I was writing, Santi walks into the office and he stands next to me. You know, and I got my earplugs on so I can't hear anything that he's saying. he's just standing next to me. And finally, I'm like, what? Because I'm writing the sermon, right? Too busy for you, son. He's all, papi, sometimes I'm afraid of the dark corner in my room. I'm like, why? Like, I don't know. I don't think there's anything there, but I'm afraid. And my response was, Santi, Jesus shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome him. I'm going to teach you how to pray powerful prayers. He doesn't doesn't know anything about Jesus shining anything. He's five years old. But when I look at my son, I see a little warrior. And I want to begin training him to think about the world as spiritual warfare, because that's what it is. And there's going to come a day that my, my boy is going to look into the corner and say, in the name of Jesus, fear be gone. End of story. I don't want to sanitize anything. I don't want to sanitize any story. Let me give you last one. In my early days on staff, I lost a student to a hit-and-run accident. He was riding his bike from his girlfriend's house, and a car ran him over. It dragged him 30 yards, broke every rib in his body, uh, messed up his back, shattered his face, and three days later, Julio died in the hospital. And it, and it broke me because I'd been discipling that brother, pouring into him. And it broke me. I was depressed for a number of years. And those social years on, on staff, man, they were just hard. And I felt depressed. And I began to cry out to Jesus, Lord, I want to see you. Lord, I want to see more of you. You know, and, and, and when you're just feeling down, you just begin to cry out to the Lord, you know? Just crazy prayers. Lord, the uh, book of Revelation says that we're going to see you face to face. I want to see you, Lord. Will you help me see you? And on the second year anniversary of Julio's death, I have a bright light that appears at the foot of my bed at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I'm talking like, imagine the sun at the foot of your bed. That's what it was. And it, it just scared me. It just scared me. So I do the only thing that I know how to do. I start going under the covers because I'm completely scared. <laughs> like, like, that's going to help. And as I put, begin putting the covers over me, I hear in my spirit something say, get up, you fool. This is what you've been praying for, for Jesus to appear. This is your Lord and your Savior. Get up. And when I realize that Jesus has appeared in my room, I, I throw the covers off. And I look at this ball of light, and it just explodes like supernova in my room. And I'm just, like, almost blinded. And when it dies down, next to where Jesus had been, there's a silhouette of a man. And he tells me, I'm so proud of you, Abner. And it's my student, Julio. And he disappears. This stuff is real. And we don't need to get weird about it. And we don't need to be scared about talking about the power of God, especially this time of year. I think this stuff is more real than this building. It's more real than the chairs that you all are sitting on. This stuff is real. The incarnation reveals the power of God. Scripture uh, is not afraid to go there. Right? Scripture is not afraid to go there. Now, why did I choose to go, go here this morning? You see, a few weeks ago, Albert asked if the Holy Spirit were to leave our church. Would anyone notice? You guys remember that? If the Holy Spirit were to leave our church, would we notice? The question that I want to ask is if the Holy Spirit is at work in our church now, how do we know that it's here? Do we even know how to recognize the Holy Spirit when we see the Holy Spirit? Because I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit leaving Trinity. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit now. I need empowerment now. Right? As Christians, we believe that the Holy Spirit has been poured out over us. We believe Peter's interpretation of the prophet Joel when the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. And Peter says, no, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women. In those days I will pull out my spirit. They shall prophesy. So the question that I want to ask is, which one of our sons and daughters are prophesying and what are they saying? Which of us are seeing visions? What are you seeing? Which one of us are are having dreams and what do those dreams tell us about what God is doing at Trinity? Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where are people being healed? Where are demons being cast out? And if none of that is happening, we have to ask why. But you know what? It is happening. You begin asking, I think we just, get, again, we just get weirded out, you know what I mean? Like we don't want to probably hear about it on Sunday morning, but it's happening. And we need to share these stories. So my challenge to you, if you're wondering, like, like well, where's the challenge? What do you want me to do? Pray. Pray for miracles. Pray for God to reveal himself. Uh, 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 pray for visions. Pray for dreams. Pray for God to show up and power this Advent season. That's what our families need. That's what our city needs. That's what the world needs. We don't have to get weird about it, but can we have a faith that maybe uh, uh, gives us God permission to be who God is? Because you see, here's the thing, bringing it back to the family drama that I talked about at the beginning, right? How do you think the Holy Spirit breaks through to redeem all that family drama? Through prayer, through pressing into God and asking God to show up. And disrupt not just my life, not just your life, but the life of our friends and our family members. And I love that there are some of you in this room who tell us the same thing every week that we need to pray that the Holy Spirit is going to do something. Every time I hang out with Mei Fong, I'm listening. Mei Fong, I want you to know that I'm praying. And I know that there are a lot of people in this church that pray. Every time I interact with you, every single time, it does not fail. Abner, I'm praying. This morning, May Fung prayed for me. What are you praying for? Just to test it out. That the Holy Spirit would come in power on this church. Amen. So again, my challenge to you as I close this morning is to commit to a revival in our prayer lives this month. Right, let's turn to God during this Advent season and wait in anticipation and learn to say, Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord Jesus, and come in power. Lord, come through signs and wonders. And Lord, come, send angels. Lord, help us experience and see things things that we can't explain. Grow our faith as Christians. And when Advent season is over, I promise you that, that we're going to be different people. Because we'll have seen the glory of God in our midst in ways that we can't explain, and in ways that our families can't explain. Amen? Amen. Amen.